And all the people said, Amen. It's awfully good to be with you. Awfully good to uh, share in your worship this morning. Um, hasn't the Lord been good to us already? Um, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Open our eyes, Lord, that we may see. Be still. Be still and know. Be still and bow. Um, well, our songs are training our spirit to get it right. Those are the sort of songs that say the right things. And when we join and sing those songs, somehow the right disposition, the right frame of mind, our, our words and our minds might have been busy and distracted in so many ways, but somehow when we come and we get our words right and we join our voices together, and we sing and we worship together. Somehow, somehow, the Lord makes a mark on us. And he scores into our heart just a little deeper. Our love and our loyalty. And I'm glad, I'm glad I was here to worship with you this day. I'm glad several of you are visiting with us. I'm glad you're here. Welcome. Come. Let's now, again, join our hearts and our spirits. This time not to sing, not just yet, before we go, yes, but not just yet. But in this effort to hear God's voice and respond to his presence. And this morning I have a text for you from Genesis, the 32nd chapter. Now some of you may say, didn't you speak on Jacob uh, and the Lord last time? And the answer to that question is yes. Uh, that uh, vision marks, I think, the beginning of Jacob's story spiritually. Um, I, I read Jacob's story, as many have read it through the church's history, and then it is Jacob, this conniver, benegler, contester, cheat, supplanter. He earns his name and his character. He gains so much of what he's been wrestling for. Wrestles away from his brother, cheats his father, and receives that blessing. And yet, even though he's been winning at all of these games, he senses now how sick he is. And he senses how isolated he is. God puts him on a, an important uh, sort of lesson. It's not a lesson anybody wants to sign up for. It's the school of hard knocks. It's a school of, of sort of, uh, of a sort of a, a tortured uh, exchange. When he gets this blessing, his mother explains to him, your brother's not going to give up. Your brother will one day kill you, maybe to get back what you've taken from him. You're not safe here. She, does she make it up as just a pretense? Uh, or if, it, if it's a standing conviction, it's new to us, new to Esau when he discovers it later as well. But she says, I just don't want you marrying one of these local girls. We've got to get you out back 
in our own sort of uh, family orbit. And she tells him to go and leave and find a bride. And that, and the idea that the old man, Isaac, rallies and doesn't die. He's not on his deathbed as we thought. He, he's got another 20 years or so. But all this to say, he is now having to leave the land that he worked so hard to get the right to. He goes off, he goes off by himself, and God gives him this gracious dream that we read about last time. He keeps going, and he runs into a guy named Laban. Ever hear that story? And he meets a trickster himself, and the trickster goes to school. The trickster gets tricked himself. Remember all that confusion about wanting to marry one girl and then waking up after a long wedding celebration of a week with the wrong girl, right? He protests to Laban, what have you done to me? What, what is that you've done to me? And Laban's loose paraphrase is something like this. Well, around here, birth order matters, buddy. He seems to be as much Laban's prisoner at times. And the school of hard knocks continues. And he feels that he's been taken advantage of. And he's isolated from the very people he wanted to head. He's apart and away and exiled from the very land over which he wanted to operate. Now all alone. Now being cheated. Now losing on every front. It seems that his story is going to end so terribly. And then by mercy, God just starts blessing him. The love of his life, Rachel, is able to have a child. And God gives them a child. And then Laban begins to be uh, well-reasoned with. He, he, he doesn't want his son-in-law to be uh, abjectly poor. And so they talk about the share that rightly belongs to Jacob because of his labor. And then no matter how they cut the deck, I don't know if there's any animal husbandry that, it, that it ever explains this. I don't think that there is. I, I think even by the ancient standards where science and technique are kind of all mixed together, and they, they don't know one from the other, uh, there, there's no accounting for how these, uh, these uh, animals get to be marked one way or the other. There's no accounting that say except this. No matter how they slice the deck, no matter which animals they identify, no matter what happens, God blesses what belongs to Jacob. And now God has sort of dried him up and sent him away. And now through the hard struggles of life, God is now opening up doors of blessing for him. And, and it's now going to be the occasion where he gonna, he's going to make a run from Laban. Laban catches up from him, but he's still able to break loose from Laban. And then finally, it seems like so many things are being addressed. And now there's left for him to go back home. But Esau's still there. And his impression at this point is Esau's still out to take from him, if by force, what rightfully belongs to Esau. And we wonder if Jacob can ever go home. And that angelic appearance from last week is matched by this angelic wrestling this week, this facing of God in chapter 32. Toward the end of the chapter, you see it there on the screen.
verse 22. And we find this mysterious, uh, truly mysterious and strange, strange story about how God faces Jacob and Jacob faces God. And he discerns later that it's not just a man he's been wrestling with, but this is God himself that he's been face-to-face with, in the clinches with, clinging to. And this mysterious story has captured our attention before. When I talk to you about the stubbornness of faith, this morning I want you to look at the other side of things. I want you to think with me about the stubbornness of God. Let's read this story, if you will. Follow along as I read it for you. The same night he got up and took his two wives, his two maids and his 11 children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And he took them and he sent them across the stream, and likewise everything that he had. Now you might remember he's presented a huge portion of his, uh, his holdings as a gift to Esau, He's presented them with great PR effect in kind of bundles to make the biggest effect. And he's put space between them. The word alone appears. And now the word alone is going to be applied to Jacob because he sends everything across in one more night. Is he scared? We don't know. No motive is uh, offered to us. But one more night he stays on the other side with all of his holdings and his, even his family sent on their a direction to meet Esau. Jacob, verse 24, was left alone. That is, until a man wrestled with him until daybreak. And the man saw that he would not prevail against Jacob. And so he struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, Let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go. Not unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Do you sense what's happening here in this story? What is your name? But when Jacob says his name, he's giving more than just his title, his tag. He's offering who he is in a confession. And there's just no way to translate it properly. I'm a conniver. I'm a supplanter. I'm always grabbing for things. Always working for things. I'm I'm a fighter and a struggler. I'm always after. Not only what's mine, but more than what's mine. I, I want what's yours. Who are you? Jacob answers honestly. His name says it all. He's asked for a blessing, but it's matched or answered with this request for his name. What is your name? Jacob, he says, verse 28. Then the man said, You shall no longer be called Jacob, 
but Israel. For you have been striving with God and with humans. And you have persisted. Maybe the idea you have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. And so Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. And the sun rose on him and passed Penuel. He passed Penuel limping because of his hip. And therefore to this day the Israelites do not eat the thigh muscle that is uh, on the hip socket because he struck Jacob on the hip and the socket at the thigh muscle. Well, I did warn you, it was a strange story, did I not? And uh, there's so much here that I would love to unpack for you. I just want to offer a, a couple of insights here to try to capture what, what, what could take us a long, long time. There's so much here that's strange. The daybreak idea, uh, what's the, the, the person have to, to bother about daybreak? the whole mystery of who it is that's wrestling with Jacob. A man, it's called in the text early on, but Jacob discerns, and he's been in God's presence before. He discerns, no, th this was God I was, I was talking to, and so on. And so we're left with a long-standing view in the church that I agree with, that this is a physical manifestation and representation of God in human form. Uh, some want to uh, put Jesus onto that scene and... and um, I'm not altogether against that. I'm just wanting to say, if we, I read it, though, in the context of its ancient kind of place, a uh, more modest kind of result is necessary. But even there, don't you understand, it anticipates what we know about Jesus Christ. This is, this is God who's taken tangible form. And again, the contest is significant. We've debated all this time on who wins, right? Uh, it seems sort of embarrassing to many of us and many people from other religious traditions that you could talk about wrestling with God and uh, wrestle to a draw or think that you won. But they both persist. They both keep on. And, well, Jacob won't let go. And, and the man, uh, I, I think... A, a manifestation, a physical manifestation of God that he's taken. Uh, he seems uh, to really be engaged in this. This is not uh, God pretending sort of uh, to, to do this or whatever. He, he seems to be entered into the limitations of this physical man who's now fighting with Jacob. Somehow, mysteriously, he requests to be, to be released. And, but Jacob holds on. And he asks for this blessing. Jacob maybe senses what a big challenge he has before him. All that has happened to him, all the change in his fortune, none of it would mean anything if things don't end well when he goes back home. Maybe it's that that worries him, but he just doesn't want to let go. He senses something grand and mysterious uh, and miraculous is going on, and he just keeps clinging. He just keeps clinging. One of my favorite books on prayer is named just that, Clinging. Well, there's mystery here. 
And the mystery goes right into Jacob's name. Our narrator would sort of say things this way. He would make the focus of the name that God gives him a, a focus that falls on Jacob. Jacob, you're the one that's been striving with God. You're the fighter. You've been fighting and struggling against God. You're fighting God. If I were to just look at the term, though, I think more consistent with the way these names function, the subject really ought to be God. Uh, the way I think this term Israel would be read more straightforwardly is that God is the one who fights. God is the one who struggles. And yet our narrator has seemed to throw the light on Jacob. And I, I, I want to tell you here, there's so many mysteries and so many answers, but let me give you my, my best effort to read this text. And the way I read this text is this, that the word does indeed mean that God fights. Our narrator, who tells us this story, puts the spotlight on Jacob because of the particulars of this situation. He's the one who's actually been fighting and engaging God. But the drama of the names plays out this way. Because God asked Jacob, what is your name? He asked for a blessing and, and, and almost to do an inventory. Uh, where do I start? He says, what's your name? Who are you? And Jacob confesses to him. I'm a schemer. I'm a deceiver. I'm... I do schemes and plots. <laughs> I'm, I, I fight with almost everybody. That's me. And the significance of placing this name aside and receiving the new name is an experience that Jacob goes through through the long, torturous struggle of the night. But it makes a mark on him in so many ways. And what he hears God saying is, let's give you a name change. My blessing to you is that things will be different now. You've been scratching and clawing and fighting, and everything you think you're about is what you've been able to scrape and claw and get. And you've got this and you've got that. And you've won a few and you've lost a few, but you've been fighting, fighting, fighting all along. What's your name? My name is, I'm a fighter and I'm a cheater and I'm, I claw for everything and I work for everything. But the blessing of this beautiful name is that God tells him, no, you're done with that name. I'm going to set that name aside. And the name I'm going to give you is that God's a fighter. God struggles. Your battle and your destiny is not a question of your own strength and your own initiative but it's something that I'm going to oversee. You're going to go on and face the rest of your life in the course that God is weaving through history, through your family. Eventually, it's going to lead to a greater and greater revelation of who God is. What God is doing in you is an effort to reclaim the world, and you need to know this, that now, now, you're part of the battle that I'm waging. God is the winner. God is the one who will prevail. God is the one who will fight. And you'll be recruited now to fight my fight. It's so remarkable. 
that God would ever have patience with somebody like Jacob. We heard it last week. We hear it again now. So remarkable that he'd have patience with somebody like that. But maybe just as remarkable is that God would allow himself to be wrestled with. You get what I'm saying? That God would allow someone like that to engage him and persist in him. And he says he sees, he's surprised, he, he gets a new name out of this blessing. And then he, he, the second surprise is this, I, I've seen God, I, I've been right there with him, I've been face to face. We might qualify that because of the darkness, we might qualify it because he doesn't see Jesus, or God just as he is, he sees him in that human form, right? But whatever the mystery of this seeing God and not seeing God, somehow he knows he's been there at God's face and now he names the place to mark this place like he had marked the other place in his life. And now he's seeing in the concert of his life, God is working through things. Jacob, who are you? I'm, I'm, I'm a cheater. I'm conniving. I'm clawing. Constantly working. God tells him, that's just not going to do anymore. I've got a new name for you. And the name I give you is I'm the fighter. I'm the one who takes the initiative. I take the fight to things. I'm going to see my, I'm stubbornly working my plan. I'm going to accomplish my plan. You think you're so restless, you can go your own way and make your own way. But God is so remarkably patient that he allows us to do this kind of wrestling and struggling. But at the end of this evening, he receives this acknowledgement. Your destiny and your name is no longer whatever you can win and whatever you will lose. Now you are part of my initiative and my purpose. And my name for you is that God wins and God fights and God prevails. And this remarkable change is so beautiful. It's so grace-giving. And I just want to celebrate with you these things that so mark Jacob that God takes us even in our brokenness and even can redeem our stubbornness. He can even redeem our faults. God allows us in this broken and messy world of our lives. He's not stranger, he's not aloof, but he allows us to wrestle with him. And we, he is in the stuff with us. He has lowered himself and he gets on this level and he wrestles with Jacob and he takes all that Jacob can offer. And there's something beautiful that God can redeem what's faulty and broken in us and make it something that is of his service. I sat on a, a panel or board some time ago, way above my pay grade and so on. We were looking at a number of, of employees and several on the board were just upset. There was a person of kind of a lower kind of standing in the, in the kind of organization but he was taking advantage of some policies that really had only been exercised or, or, or taken advantage of by uh, kind of people at a certain rank. 
And they were kind of mystified. Uh, first of all, they were mystified that this wasn't somehow written down in the rules. Uh, but decorum had kept anybody else from his standing of trying to employ these rules. But this guy just knew how to work the system. And he'd been working the system and working the system and working the system. And this group was fed up with him working the system. <laughs> He's been fighting, right? He's been taking every advantage. He could read the rules better than the people who wrote the rules could read them. And uh, he, he's making it work and so on. And they were just like out of patience with him. And I don't know what ever possessed me. Except maybe the Lord helped me. But I spoke kindly of the young man. He's done nothing really wrong. Just take advantage of the system. Yeah, but he's working the system in a way we never intended. Well, you know. We talked about him a little bit and so on. We decided not to make any more rules, not to change our rules, just to endure the uh, lack of decorum that he had uh, exercised and he'd thrown everything off. And I want to tell you that in that very moment, I wondered if God wouldn't use all of this kind of work in the system one day. And I just want to tell you that that man ended up in a place whose name I can't, whose country I can't name, working in a very hostile circumstance, working. for the benefit of people who are mistreated in that circumstance. And I just want to say to you, God took what we could look as kind of ugly and lacking decorum and just not showing the proper deference and respect and so on, gaming the system and so on. I want to just tell you, right now, he, he's been gaming the system and making it work for other people in the service of the Lord. And I just want to say to you, God can take sometimes the things that we just think are absolutely unredeemable. And we can be brought and humbled and drawn into the presence of God and we can face God and we can acknowledge who we've been and we can face God and acknowledge then that there's a God who's been patient with us, who's wrestled with us the whole night long. But the credit just doesn't go to J Jacob and his stubbornness. The credit goes to a God who would let himself be wrestled with. He would be so stubborn and so have such resolve that he wouldn't let go of Jacob. There's two people that hung on in this night. You get it? And I just want to say to you, there's this great, great blessing that comes when we face God. It is not painless. It can be arduous. But it is in that experience of clinging with God and wrestling with God. Have you ever felt, you met kind of metaphorically, figuratively, where you've been wrestling with God? Have you ever been in that season where you just didn't see how God could ever ask you to do this and you just say, no, God, no, God, no, God? Have you ever been in that spot where you just... Uh, or in this season, and you just don't see how it can work, and so on. 
And I just want to say to you that there is a remarkable and wonderful God who doesn't just sort of telegraph what he wants from us from way afar, but he comes and becomes part of the world around us. And he enters into the messiness of our lives. And yes, he will contend and he will have patience and he will hear us struggle and struggle and struggle. But one day he hopes to redeem us, to hear our name and say, that name just won't do for you anymore. I have a, I have a new name and a new identity for you. And it's not about you. It's about me. It's about my purpose. It's about my resolve. That I will not give up on you. It's about clinging. It's about holding on. And you need to know that there were two who wrestled through the night. And if this messy story embarrasses you, I just might caution you because we're the messiest people in the religion business, you and I. Did you know it? The messiest people. We claim that the God of all this world, the God who made this world, the God who suffers under its gone wrongness, is not some God who just will smush out the people in rebellion, but he is amazingly patient, and he will resolve to work his plan and his purpose, and he so seeks to include us in what he wants to do. Our messy version of God says that God came down to be one of us. Not just a pretend version of one of us, but really one of us. Do you get it? Can you get any more messy than that? Can you get any more complicated? That the God of all this world, the Son of God, has taken on human flesh and really become a genuine human being who lived out his life in faithfulness. And my hope and your hope is that this, there's a God who's ready to get dirty a God who is merciful, a God who will enter into the mess of our fallen, gone wrong world and bear it with us and finally on the cross to bear it for us. You and I are in the messy God business if you hadn't noticed. But thank God for this determination to be so messy, to deal with the Jacobs of the world and say to them, I've got a new name for you. You're not who you were before. I can make you someone else. I close with the observation that you're not to think of this as painless or easy. And I would challenge you to surrender to this God and his new identity for you and make haste doing so because delays are painful and torturous. They don't prove impossible for this God who's so stubborn about us, but they make the path hard for you and yourself and those and yours around you. And I would urge you to be responsive and compliant 
and to surrender any sense of self-sufficiency that you can go your own way and call your own shots and you'll figure this God thing out as you go. No, no, I'm saying to you, you've got to have a new name. You've got to have a surrender. You've got to have this capitulation to this God. And you hang on to him until he gives you this blessing, until he gives you this new name, until he gives you this new identity, and where he now is sponsoring you. And I urge you, if you've never walked a life of faith, I urge you to hold on to Jesus Christ today, to take his promises about forgiveness, to take his promises about new life and so on very seriously. I challenge all of us to be restored to the responsibility to face God, to live up to our new identity. I remind you, it's not painless. The cross should remind us that it's, all, uh, that it's not painless. But when Jacob goes home, goes to his victory, notice he's limping along. Knowledge usually cost you something. But it's a price worth paying. And maybe every step he takes, painful as it may be. Maybe it's a reminder of the God who grappled with him, put up with him, saw it through, and gave him a new name. where I would say to you, church, what is your name? What could we say to God? I want to be in a place where we're hungry and eager and compliant anxious to be in this spot where we know that we're not fighting our battles on our own. That God's got this purpose for us. That God's got our name, our identity, our promise, our destiny, our way forward. And I want to cling and cling to him until he provides for me everything we need, right? I want that for you this morning as an individual. I want you that for us this morning as a church family. I want to know the blessing of being face-to-face to God. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we pray Take us from the mystery of this story so strange and so mysterious with so much unknown. Take us from that place, Lord, to learn from this mysterious story what we are to learn before you today. And I pray, God, would you take the instruction of, of these moments and the, the, the text before us and would you shape our hearts. And God, I pray, would you give us 
a stubbornness to face you and cling to you and hold to you and find our hope and our blessing in you. And God, it is our prayer this morning that you will draw folks to yourself who will come to you and want their new name and their new identity, folks who will come uh, and want to be restored to uh, fellowship as your disciples and so on, but want a, a, a hunger and a, and a thirst to know you better and to know your blessings and to go forward with life with just a realization that you are the one who fights the battles and you are the one who will prevail. Lord, bring us to this moment where we may hear your voice, where we may ask and receive your blessing. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.